seeing kids who, like a ninth grader who didn't believe in themselves and couldn't speak up in class, run for office in senior year. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between. Welcome back to another episode of High School Uncensored, your go-to podcast on what high school is really like. (laughs) The stressing over college applications and talking to your counselors. This week, we are joined by a special guest, uh, my high school counselor, Miss Nguyen. Hi! Um, Okay, let's just get started with some guest questions, first of all. Uh, So, name? My name is Elle Nguyen. Uh, And then job position? Professional school counselor is the official title. And then how long have you been a counselor? And how many schools have you been to? How many like kids have you um, met and stuff like that? Sure, sure. So um, this is my 18th year as a school counselor. So um, long time. My third high school. So I've um, had a caseload of anywhere from 430 to um, this year it's about 260 and it fluctuates. Um, so I've helped thousands of kids over the years. Okay. Uh, and then do you know what the rice purity test is? I do not. I saw your note to not look it up and it was a lot of restraint to not look it up. So I'm, I'm, I'm very <laughs> proud mean, of myself. <laughs> if you want to, you can, but I don't, it's not like the most appropriate thing, but I don't. Okay. Um, and then what's your guilty pleasure? Oh my gosh. So this question was torturing me all week because I feel like <laughs> I've been so busy. I don't, um, I don't get to, so I'm like, what do I want to disclose? What do I want to share? <laughs> I was asking my kids and my son was like, well, French fries. Cause uh, you know, I don't allow myself to eat tons of French fries and I'm true <laughs> thinking about it. But you know, as the weather gets colder, I will um, sit by the fire with a cup of Mexican hot chocolate. Have you ever had Mexican hot chocolate? Um, I don't think so. It's really good. It has cinnamon in it. So it's a little bit different flavor than just your regular um, so I like that filled with marshmallows, just like a kid would drink. So I sit there with my kids and drink it. And it's so much sugar that I don't indulge that often. <laughs> and then, um, so that's one. And then I guess I'm just going to be authentic and model authenticity and share that I love to watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Okay. It's very, very, very classy show, very mind opening show. Um, yeah, I don't know why. It's just like a stress relief to realize that um, my life is not like that in any way, shape, or form. So <laughs> it's just funny. I don't. It reminds me of like soap operas when I was a kid, and I would watch them after school once in a while, um, which is dating myself. But um, yeah, you know, it's ridiculous, but it's something that I think is is funny. So <laughs> yeah, I really like that. <laughs> okay, so uh, this week's topic is being a school counselor, and then also what comes with that college applications. So the first uh, question I have for being a school counselor is like, what is the process of becoming a counselor? Sure. Um, So you have to have a master's degree. So I went to school for undergrad and then three years of grad school. Um, It's you actually have a master's in education and I went to George Mason. It's actually the counseling and human development. So you learn about how human beings grow, learn and grow, their cognitive development, social development, things like that. You have to be an intern. So I know one of our counselors at my school has an intern right now. So you have some hands-on learning. So you have to have a certain number of hours where you do that. And then uh, you have a practicum, an internship, and you have three years of grad school. So, and then um, undergrad typically, I mean, you can probably anything, but often you'll major in psychology. Um, I double majored psychology, sociology, things like that. Okay. Uh, And then what is your workload like as a counselor? 
It's a hustle. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a busy job. The lowest caseload I've ever had in my career, and as I mentioned before, I've had up to a 430, which is very, it's very, it's too hard. Mm-hmm. It's one person for too many kids, yeah. you know. Um, so there's a lot of work outside of, you know, the contract day and you have to be efficient and organized and, and manage things. I think as the years go on and um, emails, the volume becomes more and more, it becomes hard to manage what our typical priorities are, but we manage to, to work hard and get it all done. And after, you know, all these years, I have a pretty good process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then for TV shows and everything like that, we see lots of um, like kids talking to their counselors about personal issues. And speaking from experience, I've never felt like uh, kids my age do that. So is that, do people actually do that in school and stuff? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think counselors don't get the best rap in the media. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, where you know, I see movies where or shows where we're seen as like the scatterbrain who just does college stuff or um, and things like that. But I have, I have a lot of students over the years who come to me, see me, and I've probably seen every personal problem you could name um, in some sort type in some way come through my office door. You know, and and if you haven't needed that or don't have friends that often need that, um, you know, once in a while, you'll have, you know, that adult, that person that you can go Mm -hmm. to. We get a lot of referrals from adults in the building or sometimes you might pop in. I might see students once throughout their high school career or students who haven't needed me in that capacity. And then I have students who are regulars who who come in a lot and need that support. Um, so yeah, we, you know, we're responsible for personal and social help. Um, we do lessons, classroom lessons on social emotional learning. So you'll hear SEL is kind of a buzzword, especially this year with virtual learning. So those lessons, um, and then academic support and planning and then college and career. So there's three different domains, but yes, the personal support keeps me busy, but, um, you know, if you don't see it a lot, that means we're doing a good job keeping it confidential. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You might not know that someone came in to talk about grades and it kind of more into a personal support conversation. Okay. And then also like going off of stereotypes in media. So lots of kids are painted as like maybe the trouble kids when they talk to their counselors. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there like a balance or like you like prioritize different students when they come to talk to you about their needs or something? Well, I don't really think of kids as troubled. I think everyone Mm -hmm. is is a person who may have barriers or struggles, right? So um, the just odds might be stacked against one a lot more than, than someone else. Um, How we prioritize, um, obviously, emergency, so a life and death emergency would be priority number one, and you kind of drop everything else Mm -hmm. and manage that. I would manage a a crying student right away, you know, so um, someone who has many, many Ds and Fs, you know, I'd want to try to get to them right away because clearly that's a sign that something greater is going on, right? So. Um, mm-hmm. kids that aren't feeling well typically aren't functioning well. So that's a huge indication. And that, like I said, kind of morphs into like the personal social stuff. Okay. Yeah. And then going off of like everything you just said, kids who come in when they, when you can like noticeably tell that they have um, issues going on in their personal lives for kids who don't really have, they don't have like noticeable issues in like those factors. Are there any red flags that kind of like draws you to a kid? Yeah. Well, I mean, behavior changes. And a lot of times we rely on, um, on, teachers to refer us or, uh, you know, at my, at my prior school, 
um, where I was in person, right? I'm in a virtual setting now. So other friends would bring in their friends, you know, mm-hmm. say, hey, can you, can you talk to me? Or um, can you help my friend get to know their counselor? Or, you know, what do we do? I'll get referrals from other, from other students. Um, but sometimes, you know, someone might come in, for example, if it's a senior and they've done nothing with college planning or no future planning or something like that, you know, you can tell on their face, you can tell on the, the way they present themselves if something's not right. Um, we rely on, um, and the same with academic conversations, right? If their grades have dipped, if they just aren't invested in their life, if they don't have a plan, if they don't have, if they're not following through on strategies that we've talked about and you follow up with them. But we really rely on teachers and other caring adults in the, in the building to share, you know, like this student used to be all smiles and something, something's very different, you know, changes in behavior. Mm-hmm. So those are the red flags that, that we look for. Or if you pass someone in the hallway and someone who always had a smile on their face just seems kind of hanging their head low. Those are the things that we're trained to look for. Um, and we do rely on other people for referrals. It's so important. So peers and teachers also. Okay. Uh, and then you said something about like virtual school this year. How has being a counselor this year been different from like previous years? Well, I think everyone would say that virtual is harder, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's a human invested um, profession. So it's hard to have conversations over virtual, through virtual sessions or over the phone. Um, one of the things that um, I'm really proud of is my team has an online virtual presence. So we've done a Google site for wellness. We've done a Bitmoji site so that, um, that those are getting ready to launch so that kids and families can click on different icons and get to things that they need to get to. We're, you know, coming up with social emotional lessons that are going to be delivered in a virtual setting. So we've, we've adapted that way. But let me tell you, we can't wait to get back and get face-to-face with kids when it's safe to do that. Um, and then my last question for being like a school counselor is, how would you encourage kids to build a relationship with you and then talk to you about their issues voluntarily? Yeah, well, I I realize and recognize that it's not every teenager that's going to reach out to me. So I try to connect with kids, um, you know, senior conferences, freshman conferences, you know, so that my students know where I am, what I look like, how to find me. Because a lot of times I think the big barrier, especially in younger students, is just the trepidation of, I don't know how to go in there. I don't remember how to make an appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that barrier? I think it's that face-to-face time um, that really helps with forging those connections. And I have had students come in and say, you know, my older sister has you or my older brother has you. And they said, you're really nice to talk to. And so I just wanted to come in. Or they might ask you know, a basic question, like, how do I calculate my GPA and kind of feel it out and see if they feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, can I also talk to you about something else? You know, I try to make connections with, with all my students, even if it's just a silly connection about something they're wearing. I try to make my um, office space very welcoming. So, you know, we, we recognize that you have to have connections and rapport for someone to feel comfortable. So we work really hard at that. Okay. And then, so you're a counselor, right? And then you also deal with college uh, applications and just so happens that it's that time of the year. It sure is. (laughs) Yeah. So college recommendations. So my first question for you is, well, you're a counselor, right? So you have to write uh, recommendation letters for students. Mm -hmm. Uh, How personal are they? Absolutely. So I don't have, you know, a lot of times people have a misunderstanding there. There's some form letter that we fill out. I've never written a form letter. I've every single letter I've written in all these years has been personalized to the student. So we build off of what we know of of the student and our interactions with them and our impressions. 
and then we um, have a questionnaire um, with different specific questions that we that we pull from. I write specific examples and I also know that what colleges are looking for. There's a governing body called NACAC. I don't know if you've ever heard of that National Association for College Admissions Counselors. NACAC, you know, a few years ago they came out with recommendations for what college admissions want to read. So if you can imagine how many letters we write, you can imagine how many letters admissions counselors are reading, right? So mm -hmm. to get to the gist of what you're saying. So they really are looking for distinguishing characteristics. So what adjectives describe this, this student? So I'll ask about that. Um, and I want students to give me specific examples. So mm -hmm. if someone is writing, um, I'm happy because I like to be around people, right? Very optimistic because I look at the bright side. You know, that doesn't really tell me what specific examples there are, right? So you can't really write mm -hmm. a lot about that. So I ask for very colorful and rich examples mm -hmm. um, to my questions. So they wanna hear about areas of impact. So what did you do in high school that changed your life? Or how did you impact your community? Why are you different because you volunteered or did you start a club or, you know, and, and they don't recommend that you do 15 different clubs just to get a, a lot of clubs on your resume, they're looking for areas of high impact. Um, and I also like to ask about, you know, was there any academic history that you need to, we need to talk about? Did you have a struggle in 10th grade that you overcame? And so you had some, you know, uncharacteristic grades, or did you have a class that really gave you heartburn and you had to really fight mm -hmm. to overcome and you learned a lot and you grew as a student? Those are things we like to highlight um, in, in, in our letters. Um, and I also like to, I, you know, I'll often ask about like a quote or a favorite song or something like that, give a little personal twist to it and, you know, something that um, kind of represents your life. Um, it's like a student self-reflection that is not related to your essay. It's kind of like mm -hmm. an ad lib part of you. And then we do our counselor recommendation. So that's basically the format of the letter, but it's very specific. And each letter could take me up to an hour to write. So it's not something that we just do quickly. Uh, and then you said a lot about knowing your students and stuff like that, but you're new this year. So how has it been writing uh, recommendation letters? Absolutely. Well, I'm very aware that it's a little scary, especially for seniors yeah. who've had a counselor for three years. And oh my goodness, really my senior year and I have this new counselor. You know, so I offered to set up virtual meetings with my seniors and so many of them took me up on that. And I feel like there's so many that I know already just with my interactions with them, um, taking notes, you know, our, our senior questionnaire that we give out. So many kids of my seniors wrote such quality answers that I felt, uh, you know, there's so many that I read and I'm like, I know you already, you know, so I'm able to highlight the strengths and I have checked in with the former counselor and said, okay, let's, let's talk about this person. What, you know, what can you add to this? So, um, so that counselor is still contributing a little bit, but you know, we do talk about how, what's the context. And I will say that I've known them this year, but this is what I can say about them. Okay. So, um, you know, I take it very seriously. It's not something that's really quickly done just because I don't have the four year history. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, that's reassuring for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, uh, do you have like any information students should give to like people writing their recommendation, I guess? Yeah, I think this is, I'm glad you asked that question, Ashley, because I think that this is an oversight. You know, it's okay to ask your recommender or let them know this is why I'm asking you for a recommendation. This is what I learned in your class. This is how I grew as a student or as a leader. Those are important conversations to have. So it's going to be really important to 
have that specific conversation. If a recommender is saying, you know, just send me your resume, you don't want a regurgitation of your activities because that's mm -hmm. already on your application. In fact, I might talk about one or two activities in my letter, the ones that had high impact. I do not reflect on the other things because that's something that they can read. The purpose of a recommendation from a teacher is to highlight how a student impacts a classroom environment, how mm -hmm. they interact with their peers, how they're a critical thinker, what their attitude is toward learning. So it's fairly targeted, whereas a counselor letter is going to be more broad and holistic. So what is your overview of a character? How do you, what's your reaction to setbacks? How do you interact with the world? Um, because the counselor has seen you, in most cases, grow over four years, right? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be um, a difference there. So it's really appropriate to say to your recommender, you know, can we have a quick, well, right now, probably be an email chat, but in real live time, um, can we have a quick five, 10 minute conversation about it? Okay. The other thing I think kids make errors on with recommendations is they don't give the recommender enough time. They don't ask early enough or they kind of panic too late and say, oh my gosh, I need a letter and I need it in a week, right? So mm -hmm. you want to give enough time and respect to that recommender, you know, but you want to make sure that you have a quality product coming. Okay. And then, so you said like timeline stuff with that last uh, question. So what mm -hmm. is the kind of the college application timeline? Like when should kids get started? Like what should people do first? Do they have to do this before that or anything you have on that? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have a college planning timeline that that we give out to students. Um, we have actually have a high school college planning timeline for what you should be doing in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. And really college planning starts in junior year. Mm -hmm. um, so they should be investigating colleges, you know, spending time coming up with like a list of five to 10 schools that they want to visit. Right now it would be virtual tours. Yeah. Um, and looking at the requirements, do they need a, an SAT subject test or an SAT or ACT? And again, we're in a test optional um, application cycle with the pandemic. Um, but in general terms, for seniors, I don't know who's going to be listening to this podcast, if it's going to be anyone who is not a senior, but for seniors who haven't started, really, they're going to be looking at that regular cycle right now, right? Because mm -hmm. the application deadlines um, are, are fast approaching. Or, you know, if there's rolling admission schools, they need to know first where they're applying, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, I like to send out an application tracker. Remember that spreadsheet I sent yeah, yeah. out? <laughs> all the different factors um, because I think that kids and parents get stressed about just how much there is to do. So I like to do what I can to break down the information into chunks. And so that, that Excel spreadsheet, that's the application tracker, really has all the categories you need for keeping all the application components on track, right? creating your essay early enough so that you can edit it. Do mm -hmm. um, so you want to get started on that and think about the process, making sure you know what is required at your different schools, you know, so creating whatever organization system is going to be important that you can keep up. So for me, it would be an Excel spreadsheet, right? So yeah, yeah. a lot of kids, it probably would be. So making sure you know, for, um, for example, on Common App, it says the UVA does not require a letter of recommendation. Well, Common App is a third-party site, and if you look on UVA's admissions page for first-year students, you can see that they do require a counselor letter of recommendation. They require mm -hmm. a teacher and a counselor. So making sure that you are doing, being thorough, like not taking a third-party site for what it is and, and following up on each individual school. So when you have determined your school list, knowing what they, they require, making sure that you have all those components, right? So mm -hmm. we're, said we're in a test optional cycle. So students may have taken the SAT or maybe not, and that would be okay. Um, so those schools in this cycle are going to be putting more emphasis on 
recommendation letters and essays, right? Yeah. Making sure that those are good and strong. So getting started on both of those now would be critical. Speaking of timeline, you have to know your deadlines. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be really important. We just talked about the early deadlines and how it's probably a little too late for that, but rolling admissions, you can do it anytime. And when you think about regular admissions, don't forget about priority, which is the scholarship deadline, right? Because if you're a candidate for some merit scholarships, you want to make sure that you're included in that. So if you're applying regular, for example, a January 1 or January 15th deadline, but their priority deadline is December 1 or November 1, then you want to make sure you get that application in. So that's something else to really consider when you're thinking about applying to college. Okay. <laughs> And then with parents, lots of times parents like to um, help with your college application process. So how mm -hmm. involved should you get your parents? Well, that's a heavy question. Yeah. <laughs> how involved can you get your parents? Well, I've seen some very hands-off parents and I've seen some very self-sufficient kids where parents are like, I did nothing. They did it all. <laughs> and then I have seen parents where I suspect they're doing a lot for their students. So I think it's a family dynamic thing. Um, I think it's a conversation that you have to have around the around your family table right or mm -hmm. within your family so um, you're going to be going to college next year so colleges won't talk to parents next year um, everything is done through the college student as a fully functioning adult so getting adjusted to learning how to do these things for yourself is going to be really critical so obviously with the support and guidance of your parents that's going to be key to you um, this is a huge investment right this is their yeah. child so i know i would want to be a part of it and but i would really want my child to manage it if they could um, so gathering all your materials and saying okay you know what are you comfortable with what are you as a student comfortable with your parents doing for you or with you and what is the parent comfortable with and having a conversation about that about comfort levels and and how important it is for you to be able to manage all this on your own or if you need more support. Okay. And then with applying to college and like getting support from your family and stuff, uh, what do you think about like college counselors, like people who walk you through the entire application process? Well, you, you do have a college counselor in your school counselor, right? Yeah. So you're talking about paid college counselors? Oh, uh, yeah, like private yeah. college counselors. Sure. I mean, I would never be someone to tell a family what to do with their money. I, I know some of the services can be quite expensive. I've never looked into the variance in cost because it's what I do for a living for the public school system. But, you know, high school counselors do have a lot going on, but we have also very real true understanding that our job is to be there and support students. Mm -hmm. So I feel at, at our school that we do a really good job of being available for seniors. If families feel like they need that support, if they have some concerns about essay writing or keeping everything straight and they want to invest that money in college preparation instead of college tuition or whatever mm -hmm. goes along with that. That's such a family decision. I know that there's really cre credible businesses out there, but I would never be one to, to, you know, we don't recommend to other college counselors. We just don't do that, but we're there to support our students, but we also aren't there to judge families if they do choose to do that for themselves. I think it's just really, it goes back to what I was saying before about the comfort level. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then my next topic is kind of financial aid. Could you guys okay. give a quick explanation on like what the FAFSA and like the SES profile is? The CSS profile? Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, the CSS profile. I know there's so many acronyms, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. So just as, you know, when you're thinking about like, we talked about the last question about should you hire a private college counselor, you know, definitely start with your school counselor first. 
and mm -hmm. get that help because we're experts in the field. We're knowledgeable. We know this process. We are, uh, you know, we go to professional development on uh, updates and things like that. Our school is lucky we have a college and career specialist mm -hmm. um, who helps to support those things too. But a huge part of college planning, as you mentioned, is the financial component. And we just you know, had a, an online financial aid night recently, but everything starts with the FAFSA. That's the free application for federal student aid. And so even if families don't know if they would qualify or get, you know, the obligatory $5,000 in federal or state aid, you never know if some emergency is coming down the road. So I really do think it's smart for all students going to college, just with the price and cost of college to complete the FAFSA each year. It's of course a family decision, but it does, it opens October 1. So it opened a couple of weeks ago. It is mm -hmm. free to complete. There's a, a college planning guide that I sent out to all you guys, the opportunities book. I know I've talked to you about it before. And they have a quick checklist for completing the FAFSA. You do need your federal student aid, your FSA ID number first, and then you can complete your FAFSA. And like I said, it is free. It's fairly simple to complete. Um, it is first come first serve, but that is the first step for federal and, and student aid. Um, the bulk of the money is going to come from the school itself. So you're going to plug mm -hmm. in what schools you're applying to, and then the FAFSA will go to those financial aid offices. It's a fairly simple application to complete. I recommend students do it sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. If you wait until, you know, February, March, you know, there may not be money left in the pot to pull from. The CSS profile, that is a more specific and detailed application, financial aid application that some schools require, but not all. In Virginia, schools like UVA, William & Mary, University of Richmond, Washington & Lee, those schools require it. It is not free. It costs $25 mm -hmm. for the first school, and then each additional school is $16. It is more detailed, and it's through the College Board. So mm -hmm. um, if, you, if the school requires it, it will list it on their financial aid page. And I do recommend, just like I recommend a spreadsheet for tracking your applications and all the components, I do recommend if you're interested in scholarships and financial aid is a priority for you and your family for any student applying to create a spreadsheet, determine which schools need what, what are the deadlines, there may be a FAFSA filing deadline for March. Mm -hmm. So that's their deadline for you have to have it in. But if you wait until March to complete your FAFSA, in my opinion, you waited too long. So all those working parts, you're going to want to check out each individual school's financial aid page because mm -hmm. some schools have separate scholarship applications that you need to complete in addition to just their general college application. Okay. And then if you don't think you qualify for financial aid, do you still have to, um, I guess, fill out the forms and stuff like that? I know like the CSS is required for some schools, but like for FAFSA and yeah. So you can, you can pay the sticker price. You can go to college without completing the FAFSA. This is for if you and your family want to consider financial aid. Mm -hmm. um, you never know what emergency is, is, is coming your way. So that's always a good recommendation, but you don't need to complete it to go to college. You can pay, you can pay the, the credit price and the room and board and all that, all those fees yourself. Okay. And then, so right now it's like one week before early action and early decision stuff is due. And I know mm -hmm. lots of um, seniors are like trying to write their essays and stuff. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> do you have any advice on college essays? Yeah, I think this is this is the one part of the application that gets kids stuck the most, right? Because it's yeah. open-ended. It's like, I can write about anything and everything that, you know, colleges do have prompts, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to want to check that out. But then there's just the personal statement sometimes. 
you know, you can, you can check out books, you can, you know, look at different blogs online. I know um, there's a lot of different resources, but really colleges, you want to highlight your writing ability and your creative, creative thinking, creative writing skills. Um, you want to highlight your personality in an essay, right? It, it should feel like you. Colleges want to be able to read your essay and imagine you on their campus. So you don't want to write what you think they want from you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to talk about how much you love the school, you know, what you love about the school because, you know, they're proud of their school. They want to know what about you is unique. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most, I think one of the questions on here was what's the most memorable essay you've ever read? And I've read a lot of essays. I've read some strange ones. One, <laughs> one kid um, who gets all his great ideas in the bathroom on, on the, the throne, he called it, <laughs> which was fairly risky. It was very creative, but fairly risky. And it was really well written. And he's at a, he, he went to a great school. Um, but it was funny. I remember saying, oh, my gosh, this is so risky. But it was so him to be so out. Yeah. It really was part of his personality. And it was creatively done. So I think it worked. But I feel like you don't want to be too avant-garde. You can take risks, right? As long mm -hmm. as they feel like you. I think the best essay, or the most memorable that I can think of was um, years ago at my first school, um, I had this student who, she spent a summer in Japan. And this person is very thoughtful, very prepared. And she wrote her whole entire essay about how she went her first trip to the grocery store. And she ended up majoring in Asian studies. And um, she was with a host family over there and, you know, learning the, the language, which she didn't study in school. And she went to the grocery store on her own. And she was so proud of this outing. And she was checking out and she was looking around there's she didn't bring her own bag oh <laughs> such a huge mistake to make you know for someone who would be researching where you're going and it just was so unlike her and so she really walked you through like the funny um the funny details and the panic and how it was so unlike her and it just was so well written mm -hmm. and I just enjoyed reading it I wanted to read more I was like <laughs> I want to know more what you stopped after you know 500 words so that was probably most memorable because it was so unlike her character and it was but the way she wrote it was really witty and funny and she mm -hmm. was very dry sense of humor. Um, so it should be you on paper. And I think kids overthink things and they don't need to. Definitely mm -hmm. have um, people review it, people, someone that knows you, someone that doesn't know you, right? Because you have that bias when you have your best friend or your parent reading it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you want someone to read for, for, for grammar and editing, right? Because you don't want to have any of those mistakes in there. Yeah, I know for me, I when I was trying to write my um, essay, it was like, I have to find this one story that kind of like defines who I am or something. Yeah. And I feel like that puts a lot of pressure on like finding the right story to tell. I don't mm -hmm. know, because like lots of schools will see it and like decide on who you are based on that one essay. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think a really helpful way to start is, you know, to ask your your friends, like, what's what's one adjective you think of when you think of me, you know, mm -hmm. or what do you think of yourself, and then have them come up with like a couple of memories or come up with a story or something like that. Or, you know, if someone's passionate about activism, you know, have retelling like a moment with a volunteer experience or something like that, that was impactful. I mean, I've read sad essays. The one thing they don't want when, you know, when kids have had tough, tough breaks in life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've, I've read some really sad essays, you know, and it's, it can be heartbreaking. Um, they have read a lot of sad essays. Remember these admissions officers are reading thousands and thousands of documents. Mm -hmm. um, 
they, they want, if you do have a sad story to tell, then they want you to talk about your resilience and how you overcame it and how you survived it and how mm-hmm. you are better for it, right? So they want that positive outcome. They don't want a sob story. They, they want to know you. They want to be able to see you on campus having a cup of coffee and they want to have yeah. a cup of coffee with you. I've heard admissions officers say that. Those are their favorite essays to read. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and then what are some of the most common questions you receive from students or parents? And then what are your answers to them, like with the college application process? I think the biggest thing that, I, that I've gotten, you know, I mean, there's different things every year, you know, when they change the SAT, that was confusing. And uh, do I need the SAT too? And things like that, things that aren't really relevant this year. But I think the biggest issue is where do we start? Because there's mm-hmm. so many pieces of information. And so that's why I try to break it down. Okay, here's a, t- here's a planning timeline, right? So I sent that out to you guys. Here's a planning timeline. Here's an opportunities book, which is really the planning guide that has everything in it. Here's the application tracker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really staying organized. I think the worst thing that students and families can do is to avoid it, knowing you have these deadlines coming and to just avoid it because then you have a lot of stress. So yeah, I think because it can vary so much. I mean, haven't you seen all the different requirements at your different schools? Yeah. You're like, okay, this school is this and that school is that. So it takes some investigating and some planning. So I definitely recommend that you, you know, get organized. And if kids are not ready now, that's an indication that they're, they're overwhelmed and they can't push themselves. They need to do the regular um, round. I also think there's so much information out there and third-party websites, right? They, there's college data, there's college board even Common App is a third-party website, always check your information on the school website itself because they can change. I mean, I've had schools like George Mason, some state schools change their deadline and say, okay, we had a deadline, but now we've extended it. So always make sure that you don't miss a critical component by not checking the school website. Okay. And then like to round out this whole podcast episode, I have a few like closing questions for you. Sure. Um, so being a high school counselor, how stressful is it? What are the good and the bad? Like what keeps you up at night thinking? Mm-hmm. And yeah, your love-hate relationship with this job. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be authentic. It is a very stressful job. It mm-hmm. is, um, it's, it's not something that you can, you have to be sturdy, sturdy-minded, sturdy-hearted to be able to do it. You know, I do it for the kids. I do it for of helping people. You have to have your own system, right? Just like anything in life, your own study system you have, right? Your own system. You know, there's certain times of the year that we have, you know, the beginning of the year is opening a school and then we work with seniors and there's things that go on, but it's a job where you don't know what's coming. I can plan my day and then an emergency happens, right? So you have to be flexible. You know, I thrive in a stressful environment, but I also have to have my own brain breaks, right? And set boundaries and limits, I think the bad part about the job is because, you know, how do we communicate in 2020, right? It's via yeah. email, right? So the emails have multiplied exponentially, but I'm still doing all my tasks. So it's hard to balance that just like with you guys, right? Like I'm sure your emails have increased a lot. With yeah. And, oh, it's in your email. Things like that. And so um, it's hard to stay up on what you have to do when you have all these other things coming through. So I try to stay as organized as I possibly can, but I also know that, I'm here to evolve. I'm here for service to students and families and do whatever I can. Um, my love-hate relationship with my job. Well, I certainly would not have lasted to this, this long without loving my job. And when I think about what I've done all these years, you know, there's no one specific thing that I'm proud of, except I see flashes of kids in my mind, you know, of kids who 
didn't think they could make it and they did mm-hmm. or things, kids that grew. Um, you know, we are by nature, we're only with you guys for four years. We see like yeah. all this little slice of your life and, you know, kids are like, Oh, come back. And they might visit. And then they, by nature, they move on. They're moved on to their next chapter. So it's not often that I get to see, you know, the seeds planted go to fruition, right? You just have to, to hope and, and believe and, and be responsive when students are with you who need you, you know? Um, the bad part about the job is, you know, wanting to be able to do more sometimes when you can't, right? You know, with mm-hmm. a family situations or tough, like virtual situations, I can do all these strategies, but I can't take away the fact that they're not a good match for virtual learning. You know, those yeah. you can't control. I definitely have a hard time with that. Okay. Um, and then like you covered a lot of this in like the last question, but like, what are you most passionate about your job as a school counselor? Oh, just the, I'm, I'm a people person. So just the work with kids and, and getting mm-hmm. to, to help and support kids um, and, and their families too, right? You know, seeing kids overcome obstacles, seeing kids who, like a ninth grader who didn't believe in themselves and couldn't speak up in class, run for office in senior year. That happened at my last school. I was oh. like, what? Oh my gosh, who is this person? You know, <laughs> getting to see kids believe in themselves, I think is probably the thing that makes me get up every day um, and and go to work. Okay, that's really nice. Um, and then, so with college applications and stuff, how excited are the counselors when they figure out like what um, schools their kids got into? Oh my gosh, I love, I love hearing from kids when they got into a school, you know, because you've seen them along the way, the whole process, it's so exciting. Um, I haven't, you know, because I'm new to the school, I haven't been able to see, you know, what the college day looks like at, at yeah. the school, but I'm super excited. I mean, we celebrate with with students. And and on the flip side, you know, we're there to support students when they don't get their their right outcome, right? You know, that can be hard too. So we're there as part of that journey or when they're making difficult decisions, right? Maybe they mm-hmm. got the first choice, but they didn't get any financial aid and they got a lot of financial aid at their safety school. And now they're, <laughs> they're tortured in what choice to make. So, <laughs> You know, we see it from start to finish. We're there at the very end and cheering, cheering them on at graduation. It's, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and is there anything else that we missed that you want to share? Well, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that, especially in college planning, I want to share two things. In college planning, you know, you have to find the right fit. We talk about best fit language a lot as school mm-hmm. counselors you have to find the right lang- right, right fit for you, right? And so making sure you're taking those virtual tours and not choosing a school for the name brand of it, right? It has to be the right class sizes, the right research that you need. You know, you can't go to school because everyone in your family went to that school, but you love this school over here, right? So you have to, I, I say, li- make an authentic choice mm-hmm. and live an authentic life would be my best advice and find that best fit. And I also think for, um, for any student listening right now and thinking about 2020 as it is, it's been such a year, just a reminder that this is not permanent. We're not gonna live the rest of our lives in a pandemic and that just to keep holding on and look out for each other. Earlier you said, you know, how do you, how do you see kids who may not be able to speak up or may not seek you out, you know, and we really rely on each other. So make sure you're looking out for each other and letting us know kids that need support. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still here. We're still here. We're in your corner. We're here to support you. And that this is not a permanent thing, this virtual setting. Um, you know, this chapter two will close and we'll all move on from this. Yeah. Okay. Thank okay. you again for being on the podcast. It means a lot to me to have like my teacher on. It's kind of cool because you 
I like sent in a thing and I was like, oh, I have a podcast and you respond and you're like, oh, I would love to be on your podcast. So it's just been amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I've never been on a podcast. I'm so <laughs> excited that you even thought that I could be a part of it. I'm so truly honored. <laughs> Any Anytime I can get FaceTime with my students, I'm like, please, you know, be involved and be connected. I'm so happy to do it. So thank you for thinking of me and trusting me to participate. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so everyone listening, go thank your counselor when we get back into school. Say hi. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so we that can't wait to see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that concludes this week's episode of High School Uncensored. Uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Ashley. Hey guys, thanks again for watching this week's episode of High School Uncensored. If you liked it, share it with your friends, share it with your family. You know, share it with your high school counselor because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you want, you can send in stories. We have an um, email. We have this anchor platform. You can send in voice memo stories. Uh, contact me with any ideas you have, topics that you want me to go over, guest questions I can ask. Just anything you want to say, I guess. Um, you can find us at our email or our Instagram. Our email is hsuncensored at gmail.com. And then our Instagram and um, Twitter is hsuncensored with a zero instead of a O at their respective websites. Another shout out to Miss Nguyen. She's um, amazing. Like, just talk to your counselors, guys. Like, they care about you. You don't have to if you don't want to, but they're another adult figure in your life that will talk to you if you need it. You know what I mean? Or not. Like, just an option here. I really hope that you guys enjoyed all these um, tips and trying to erase the stigma behind counseling, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but good luck with all your college applications because I know deadlines are kind of coming up soon. And then, okay, and I also did want to start something new. So I'm going to start this thing called code word, I guess. Like if you reach the end of this episode and you like found this code word, then you just know that you have the satisfaction of knowing the code word, even if other people don't know it, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm just gonna say, you can do whatever you want with this information. You can like send it to me or you can like just post it randomly and be like, oh, this word and like have no context for it. I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, but this week's code word is going to be, I don't know, I haven't really thought about this that much, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say it's going to be uh, November 1st, okay? That's, that's the code word for this week. I know, real creative, right? Um, and then also, apparently, my podcast is in Ohio now, so if you're in Ohio and you're listening to this, hi, you should email me or something. I don't know, I want to see that you guys are, like, real and, like, actually alive and not just bots, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, before I wrap up this podcast episode, Nature Valley Bar, if you're still listening to me, please sponsor the podcast i made a deal with a friend that says if i ever get ten thousand streams i will email you guys so email me first i don't want to email you i'm anxious okay <laughs> but that um concludes my announcements that concludes this week's episode i hope you have a great week if you're stressing you got this i believe in you uh and i'll catch you on the flip side bye guys <laughs>